Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? How many W's can we fit into this podcast? Very excited to have my guest today. I'm, of course, your host, Richard Litauer, solo hosting today, which is excellent because I get to ask all the questions I want. How nice is that? And our guests today are Carlos Martinez and Shoaib Sufi. Carlos is joining us from Amsterdam, where he's the scientific community manager at the Netherlands eScience Center. And Shoaib is joining us from Manchester, where he's the community lead at the Software Sustainability Institute. That's Manchester, UK, not any of the Manchesters in every single state in America. Very excited to have these two guests on today from different institutions, but actually the same community of research software and in general, sustainable open source in the sciences. And I'm talking too much. Carlos, how are you doing today? I'm fine, Richard. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Shoaib, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm well. Doing good. Thank you. Excellent. And now you, oh, listeners, know which name goes with which voice. So I invited Shoaib and Carlos on because I'm really curious about the workshop on sustainable software sustainability. Is it really? Is it that how many S's do we need? Okay. First question. Who named that? Okay. So I, I really like that you started with how many W's can you fit in the name? But for was the story has been how many S's can you fit in the name? And we owe the name mostly to the original creators of WOS. Shoaib and I have more or less carried on with the tradition. But I, th I would say mostly probably comes from Patrick Arts. Unless Shoaib wants to disagree on that. No, it is Patrick's. And I asked him, why is it called that? Why is it the sustainable software sustainability? Why? Why? And it's to do with software sustainability is an effort to look at the long-term of software in research or in other sectors. And there are certain people who are concerned about that, places like the Software Sustainability Institute, Netherlands Science Center, DANS, Data Archiving Network Services in the Netherlands, and other organizations. And then there's Reza as well, which is Software Alliance. So how do you sustain the people who are interested in software sustainability. So that's why the extra sustainable word is that. I love that. We have that problem a lot in sustain, where there's often conversations I've seen where how do we sustain, sustain, and keep it going. Of course, sustain OSS is different tent than software sustainability, because when we talk about the Software Sustainability Institute based in Edinburgh with Neil Chua Hong, excellent, excellent institute, super, super cool work. They're focused more on research software. I'm talking too much. Is this a, a right approximation that it's kind yeah. of adjacent, but still the same? Yeah. I mean, there is a link between the open source software and a research software. There's been an ongoing kind of, oh, when research software and the whole e-science program in the UK started back in 2000s or 2010, and then that turned into different research infrastructures. There was like, oh, who's most like this? Oh, open source software are most like this. But then it was taking from the open source community and their ethos and their methods, but then adapting it to what would be acceptable inside research and, and academia. So they're not always driven by the same things, but they're close. I wouldn't say brother and sister. I'd say more like cousins. I like that. So the Software Sustainability Institute and the E-Science Center in the Netherlands 
are working together basically to have these series of workshops. Before I get into that, we talked a bit about SSI, which if I believe is a state funded institution that works in this, it's one of the eight different institutes that are run underneath the government funding. Can you specify how that works? So it's not at the level of a fund, does fund, it's not at the level of a fund. How it works is that the Software Sustainability Institute is currently in its third phase. In its third phase, it's funded by all the funding agencies as part of the UK research and innovation. There's different funding agencies, you know, engineering and physical sciences and the medical research council, all of so there's seven of it's funded by all of those. There's one other one called Innovate UK, which is more business focused, which doesn't fund us, but the rest of them do fund us. Excellent. Okay. Bit of clarity there. Thank you so much. Carlos, can I have you elucidate or talk about rather the e-science center? What does that do exactly? What's its mandate? Yeah. So at the e-science center, we're the national center for research software expertise in the Netherlands. So we focus completely on, on the research side and on developing research software, but of course that's adjacent to open source software, right? Like we have as a policy that all the software that we produce is licensed Apache, unless there's a very good reason to choose a different license, but as much as possible, we try that everything that we do is, is open source. And we take a lot of the software that we try to always start from existing open source projects, if possible, whenever possible. So we were really adjacent to, to open source in that sense. And we're very similar to the SSI in that we're basically state funded. Of course, funding landscape in the UK and in the Netherlands is very different. We don't have 27 or I don't know how many different research funding agencies, in, but we have basically two, NWO and Sonnen Bay. And NWO is the one that is funding the Science Center together with SURF, which is the national infrastructure provider. So we have the national funder and the national infrastructure provider that fund the Science Center to create research software that makes optimal use of research infrastructure. Excellent. Okay. So now we know where you two sit at the table. Let's get back to WAS. So how did WAS start? So it started as a the knowledge exchange workshop, where people coming together to talk about how knowledge around software sustainability, software sustainability efforts were happening. And then it kind of changed. There, there was a bit more focused on policy at that stage. And then it changed to be a bit more broad around research, soft, including research software, including aspects of like software preservation topics. And then it expanded again to the, in the next one, where there was this uh, element of cultural heritage and this element of the infrastructure itself, sort of infrastructure you need to sustain software. And there was discussions around European software sustainability efforts, which to some extent, in some way or shape or form, we can talk about that later, have come to some kind of fruition. And then the last one was included some of the more hot topics like open research and fair software, as well as focusing on human factors. Yeah. So it started as a smaller meeting of minds and then expanded to cover a number of different topics, including not just research software, but also legacy systems as well. So expanded a lot. And this is part of the, maybe we'll get to this later as part of the, the discussion in the future about what's the future direction of WASP. But yeah, it was, it's quite expansive. So when we talk about workshop, we're not talking about a single workshop in some conference room somewhere. We're talking about a series of workshops and a growing community focus on these topics. Yeah. 
Carlos, do you want to add to that? Yeah. So I guess that about the series of workshops, yes, I think there were several editions of was right? Knowledge Exchange Workshop, which was, I'm just checking the dates, 2015. Then we had two more WOSs at The Hague in 2017 until 2019. And we had an online WOS in 2021. I just had to check all the dates on the website because I don't remember that from the top of my head. That's okay. I don't remember all the sustained dates on the top of my head either. One of the questions I have about WAS is who do you normally have in the room for these workshops? What type of community members are there? Obviously, if you're talking about, say, just research software engineers, that's an entire field, right? That would be tens of thousands of people hanging out in a single place, which is a bit difficult. Can you tell me a bit more about what kind of community comes together for this community? So we're looking at funders, we're looking at leaders, we're looking at middle managers, although everyone's welcome, developers are welcome, those who are more interested. So it's really getting the people who've got an opinion, an overview of different activities or running major activities in the room to basically reflect and better reflect. What we term state of the art, although we get into a little bit of trouble saying that, it's only state of the art according to the people who, who are there. We're trying to get hold of the right people. And the right people in this context are the people who are not just at the coalface, not developers, but a couple of layers above, as well as funders, so that they're aware of the discussions which are happening. People who know a bit more about the tactics and, and strategy of the systems being put together to try and solve some of the problems which people are facing. Excellent. So I'm looking at the website, which has these wonderful reports, and there's a section called Our Goals on the main page, which really clearly says, one, cross-pollination of ideas, two, identify key issues, three, inform policymakers and funders, which is an excellent goal. I really like that one. And then four, sustain software sustainability, sustainably. Okay, the last S isn't there, but let's pretend. Since this is the Sustain podcast, can you break down for me, what do you mean by sustain software sustainability? What is that pyramid? look like? Okay. If I may jump in on this one, if we start from software, I think that we most of the time are thinking about research software and not necessarily other open source software when in the context of WOS, it's, it's always very research software centered. And once software has been developed, you of course have a need to sustain it, right? And so how do you make sure that the software can be reused or an extended period of time and that it doesn't end at the end of the project. So for that, you need some resources, some support that can help you maintain that software for the long term. And then the layer underneath that on the pyramid is how do you create in a research landscape in which these efforts for sustaining the software can be kept for a longer period of time. So that's going back to what Shoy mentioned earlier, that how do we make sure that places like the Software Sustainability Institute, the, the, the Science Center, Research Software Alliance can continue to exist for an extended period of time. Cool. So this is a section of the workshop where you talk about how do we fund ourselves and our friends to keep working on this cool stuff? Or am I mishearing that? I wouldn't say that it's, a, it's necessarily a section of the workshop, but it's one of the, of the things that is always in, in our minds when we're discussing during the workshop. So one of the things that was mentioned in previous edition of was the need about having like some European software sustainability institute or something like that, right? That there's some coordinated effort in developing software sustainably 
across Europe and ideally across the globe, right? But we started with a, most people in the room were from European institutions. So we were talking about, okay, let's have starts thinking about how would we do this at a European scale. The SSI has done great at the, the UK level and the Netherlands, the ESAN center, we've done the best we can at the Dutch level, but how do, how can we scale this up to have like a more European scale of this type of efforts? So this is really interesting to me. I'm not sure how interesting it's going to be to all of our guests, largely because at Sustain, I've wondered a lot, how do we sustain, sustain? And it seems to be a very similar question. Like, how do we keep the funding coming in a certain way? Do we organize and do a formal 501c3 or something? Or do we keep using Open Collective? How do we justify our continued existence? And how do we reach out to friends, to other people of like minds in the community who are doing the same stuff? Risa, for instance, is absolutely excellent in the sense that they do a lot of the work on software sustainability that we don't do because we focus largely on open source, but we sort of treat scientific open source as its own thing a lot of the time. So whenever I come back to this question for sustain, I often wonder, how can I justify the continued existence of sustain while also acknowledging that it needs to do something to be worthy of sustaining? I want to make sure that the conversation changes at some level. I want to make sure that people are, their lives are better for having gone to say our conferences. So what I'm curious about for you is a, do you ask this question and B, what do you do to make sure that every researcher who comes to a workshop leaves with better updated readme and their software dependencies or an opportunity to get funding for their work, even if it's unrelated to software sustainability, just because they're in this field. Do you see where I'm getting at? Yeah, I think making it worthwhile for people is really important. It's not just about extracting information from people. In the in-person, we do try and have a part of the workshop, which is discursive and almost unconference-esque in the sense that people can choose what topics they want to discuss and then discuss those topics and to decide which topics they feel need to be discussed. So they get a chance to give their contribution. Their contribution is then recognized in, inside the report. I mean, for the last two reports, we've made all the people who contributed as co-authors on the report. We're not sure that is a sustainable model in the future. It has lots of caveats. Doing things that way is quite time consuming, but the people have appreciated that by coming and offering their opinions, they've been credited, which is beneficial for them, something to point out that I helped contribute to this. So it's mainly in, that, in those contexts, I think, of people benefiting and understanding other people's practice. I mean, they're not, some of this is policy level work, so it's not necessarily going to the extent of good coding practice and having tests and having readmes and having contributor guidelines and all of those things. It's maybe a level above in terms of, well, if you're running the service to archive your software, you might want to archive your software in the service, you know, software heritage archive, if you're writing your software. Or we have a system for collecting the different artifacts that you're producing, you know, research objects. And you might want to use this when you encapsulate the different elements in your research to make it more reproducible or something more kind of low level and mechanistic like ReproZip, which ripples through your environment and captures it and turns it into something executable, real clever tech. Or actually, you know, if you're going to include people in your, you might come from a different certain cultural background. You just might see the world the way everyone's like me, being made aware that the world's not like that and how to include everyone to get the maximum benefit out of people. So hearing that from the likes of yeah, community managers at Microsoft, and it's all 
an enriching experience, we believe, that helps not only sustaining the software and sustaining the people who write the software, but also helps the culture of sharing and the culture on. I mean, there's lots of conversations happening. So it helps, unless you're deeply embedded in those conversations, you don't know what's being said. So in a sense, it, it's like across a certain number of topics which are in flight to help bring people up to speed. If you were new, for example, in the area of software sustainability, you could look at the past two reports and be pretty much 60-70% of the way there in terms of major things which were happening in the area, I believe. Looking at the reports now, so for instance, the 2021 report, it's on Zenodo, it has around 10,000 authors, okay, more like 50, which is really great. And, you know, it's been seen 7,000 times and it's a 75 page paper. So this is, these are not insubstantial reports, which is really cool. So coming from a slightly different tack, a lot of the conversations I've been in recently around sustainable software in the sciences have come from the perspective of having an OSPO is, as being really useful. So an open source program office is a center inside a university or a research institution that basically has someone whose job it is to go to these sorts of meetings and say, oh, that's what we do. And then disseminate that among their university, among their research institution to basically help other researchers figure out what is going on in the world. Now, you just said this is a cross-cutting way of getting people up to speed and sort of looking at how the conversation is changing in our entire ecosystem in the sciences. My question for you is, do you find that the people who are coming to these sorts of workshops or people who have been empowered by the university to be able to share this stuff? And what tools do you give them besides a report to help them communicate with their fellow researchers, with people at their institutions? I think that we aim to attract these type of people, right? And then like Shreve said, everybody's welcome to join, but Partly we, we need to focus, okay, what's our target audience? And I think our target audience is what Shoaib said earlier, not necessarily or not strictly the developers, but like layers above. I think the, in the last workshop, probably the label OSPO wasn't around or we hadn't heard about it before, but if we had, we would probably say, yes, that could be part of our target audience. And I think that part of what people take out of the workshop and that can empower them to actually perform this job is not only the reports, but the networking opportunity that the workshop provides. So usually the workshops have plenty of time to, for people to interact with each other. And I think one of the most valuable things about these workshops are the contacts that you make and the, the people that you meet that are very knowledgeable in the area, but also that share the same problems that you might, might do and have a similar vision of making open source software more sustainable and have the same struggles and like, like how can we make coordinated effort to make this better? So I think that that's a very powerful tool to have like a, a network in this area. Yeah. I just wanted to come back on the point of OSPOs. I mean, OSPOs is a structure that's I think in the UK, certainly, I'm not sure in the Netherlands, but in the UK, we need to maybe investigate that a little bit more. How research software is highlighted at universities now is normally through centralized research software engineering groups. And there is a study being done by one of the SSI fellows on, they visited many RSE groups to understand how they were formed, what functions they perform, what keeps them structurally sound, all of those they can, I guess it's similar to the organizational place of an OSPO could be quite different at different institutions, but as well as running training courses and helping researchers with immediate problems with their research software, as well as getting funded grants to actually have some of their people 
on working with research teams to produce research software, they almost function as more than an OSPO, if you see what I mean. They have that OSPO-esque function, although it doesn't necessarily have a specific open source strand. The tendency tends to be amongst research software community that open source first. If you don't want to do open source, then we want to know why. And it's okay to not do it, but we'd like to know why. That's actually really intriguing. Can you talk to me about known cases where it's a good idea not to do open source as an RSE? Sometimes it's a case where people want to commercialize something that they've done in their research. I mean, the case that comes to mind was something around assisted reality, which was there was some code produced at Oxford by a group who were doing with assisted reality. So they had an interesting take. They said, well, if we make BSD2 or a, a 3 or we make it Apache, then we'll lose it forever. So let's give it a really restrictive, maybe that's the wrong word, a fairly restrictive open source license, you know, or one of the viral licenses, because we own all of the IP. If anybody, a commercial company wants to work on it and have that as part of their product, they'll have to come and buy a license from us, which is more commercial friendly. So it worked for this particular group. And that's the main example I can think of. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of like dual licensing is just better in those cases. But I could see how that's one of the areas where research software isn't totally aligned with open source. They're, they're slightly different topics under the same general tent. Now, you're really lucky in the UK because it's small, like relatively compared to the US, which is where I'm obviously coming from. That's where my accent is from, my passport. RSEs, you know, there's like 40 or so in Britain. You can actually go on the RSA group's website, society-rse.org, and you can see like a map of what RSEs are there. So I feel like it's easy to go to each one and say, what are you doing? What's going on right now? And I feel like in maybe other universities around the world, it's a bit more difficult to know what universities are there, whether they're doing research, how to find someone, which I think is where something like an OSPO may help with that. And I agree with you, Carlos, had that word been around, then maybe it might have been used. But for me, it's just a useful shorthand for any university appointed, la, this is what we do, sir. Yes. Which is, seems to work quite well. So really cool. I really like this. I think this is a really awesome community. Can you tell me, the report's quite long, and I know that networking is a really good reason to be there. Sharing with other people is a really good reason to be there. You go home after going to one of these things, and you just want to write up the report. You want to talk to your friends about this awesome, awesome work. But can you tell me maybe... What are like the three things that are going through my head after I leave? Like, what are some key takeaways that may be good to share, say, from the last one? I mean, I think the key takeaway is the importance of fair and an open, the importance of fair, fair is bindable, accessible, interoperable, and, re, and reusable. And it's applied to data in the first context. And then people have wanted to apply that to software. What does fair software mean? And fair, findable doesn't necessarily mean open. So it's including commercial development of software or more restrictive licensing of software, although tends to need more additional things and additional aspects. And then the whole open research side and the fact that software sustainability itself needs sustaining and there's efforts for trying to coordinate a greater a cooperation between, mainly it was focused on European partners. And there are exciting tools that are being produced that people should look into if they're interested in reproducibility. And there are other human infrastructure 
for example, the reproducibility networks, uh, the UK one comes to mind, uh, which are really focused on transparency and trustability of research. So those sorts of looking at it's everything from efforts to themes to tools. Thank you so much for sharing that. A question that came to my mind when thinking about those takeaways is, do you have anything between the workshops? Like, do you have like weekly or monthly or daily calls that people can join in on? Or is the workshop really where the main work happens? No, it's, it's mainly the workshops. I really like that. That is the correct answer. Because I'm thinking about how similar this work is to some other work that goes on in other areas, right? So RSE does interesting work. RESA does interesting work. RC does interesting work. URSSI, I think there's another RC. There's like two of them. So USRSC, and then there's RC, and then there's the Workshop on Sustainable Practices and Engineering, which I think is a very similar workshop that's been going on at the same time as WAS. Actually, that's probably worth a question. Do you know the relationship between WISPI and WAS? So at one stage, we wanted to merge WISPI and WAS, uh, but Dan Katz, who's in charge of WISPI, he's one of the report editors, and he's also been giving strategic direction to WAS. I think one of the Things that myself and Carlos are realizing is that the landscape is changing. A lot of the important issues that have been brought out, this kind of like really wide cross-cutting view of what's going on, we're not sure whether that is still the future direction for WAS. There's a lot of things that have been looked at in depth, fair software and some of the things around software policies, whether it's time to look at a different cut. Should we focus on software policies in memory institutions like galleries, libraries, archives, museums? Should we focus on that aspect? What should we focus on? There is some work. We mentioned the there was a project which is funded, which is going maybe the first steps towards a European cooperation around software sustainability, around certain larger research infrastructures and use cases from astronomy to life science to the social sciences. And this is applies, I think, to software sustainability, it's uh, institute itself, and no doubt to Reza and to the Netherlands E-Science Center and to other institutes. They're very reflective organizations. And so they say, okay, what actually needs to happen next? Do we need to change what we're looking at? And I think this is an inflection point, really, for the WAS efforts. I think, like you mentioned, Richard, there's many different forums in which similar topics are being discussed. And I think that also is something that, that influences this change in the landscape, right? Maybe eight years ago, when the first wars happened, there weren't less or they weren't so connected, all of these efforts, and they were maybe more yeah, disconnected. And because there's been a change in the landscape, there's been like a strengthening of the connections and of the network effect of wars and of all these other workshops. A lot of the time that what happens is that in collaborations workshop, you meet almost the same crowd that you would meet at WOS or at WISP or at RSC conference. So there, there's a lot of overlap in this effort. So that to some extent, it reflects the signal in the, in the landscape that's happened over the, over the years. Yeah. Some people also, they say, well, I don't want to talk anymore. I want to do. And so they're more interested in hackathons or working with some of the collaborators that, that they found and to move those forward. An example of that was the citation file format, which was scoped along at different workshops, some collaborations workshop, RSE, Conjure, to, to WISBY as well. I think it's that 
I'm not totally sure about where it started. It might have been at starting out at Wusby. And to the extent that now there's rolling support at GitHub for it. So it's kind of listening to some of these things. You know, some people do get jaded as well. Like there's some senior, I won't mention the person's names, some senior people in the whole research software space, like get up at a conference. This is the 10th time I've spoken about this. <laughs> and so he's a balancing act. One of the reasons for having the reports is so that we have background. You know, people coming to this new would be like, they, they think, oh, we should talk about software citation. And well, it's been talked about quite a bit. So it's to bring, help bring them up to speed. Bringing people up to speed is a really good reason for it, for new people in the community. I hear you that it is hard to keep going to the same conferences with the same people. But I think that's a really easy solution to that. It also is something we can build together. So I think we should get together and build the workshop on saturation of software sustainability and the sciences sustainably. We just talk about whether the space is too saturated in that conference. So looking forward to that next year. Can't wait. Let's have it somewhere with an S as well. Stuttgart. Great. That'll be super fun. All right. So we talked a bit about future work, which is excellent. Can you tell me when the next WAS is and if you have any specific future work plans coming out? So we have a little hiatus at the moment and we're having a period of reflection. The next step really is to, for us to look internally and the editors, mainly Ressa, ESC, Edicopia, Software Sustainability Institute, eScience Center, and really look to lay out the landscape. Okay, we've been quite broad in terms of looking at the topics, and there are other people who are going into those topics and going in depth. Is there still a place for something which cuts across a whole range of topics every, like a heartbeat, every two, three years, just to give a synopsis and keep people up to date, almost like a, not quite a history, but that sort of journalistic approach? Or do we actually want to target a smaller community and help them with their sustainability efforts, looking at the fact that there's a, there are other working groups and there are other people doing other things. You know, research software engineering topics tend to be RSECon. There are other RSC networks, DERSC, as well as GRC in the US. Yes, US RSC. It's definitely a period of reflection and we are starting to have discussions around which direction to go a bit. I mean, it's also really interesting for us to know only our own direction, but also what the community think. And some of it is, who is it for? Is it for institutions or is it for the individuals or is it for the mature individuals in the area or is it for beginners? And like Shreve says, it's a lot of period of reflection. And I think part of that is if we go back to the goals of, of wars, one of those goals is to inform policymakers and funders. And I think there's also been some evolution in that sense for policymakers and funders that there's a, this type of working groups like the policy in, in research organization for research software working group for, from RDA and research software alliance. And there was, of course, the, also the Amsterdam declaration of funding research software sustainability. That's also the, the, another of these efforts that has happened in the last two, three years that have, that mean that there's a change for funders and policymakers. So in that sense, a lot of the objectives of WAS or the are also happening elsewhere. So that's why there's a need for this reflection. I hear that so much because similar things have happened in the sustained open source space where, you know, when we started in 2017, there weren't really a lot of conversations happening around how do we get maintainers 
Like, what are the issues affecting maintainers in open source? What are the issues affecting open source sustainability in general? And this was more on the practice industrial side of open source, not just research stuff. But now those conversations are a lot more popular and people tend to deal with them. And you hear about things like burnout a lot more. You hear about funding a lot more. You have state agencies issuing policies. And so the, the space has just changed immensely. So I'm really interested to hear about what happens with WAS and where you decide to go and how you decide to, to focus. I really like the idea about museums and art institutions. I hadn't heard of that before. So that's a really cool target market, I suppose, if we want to think capitalistically about where you might work. I just, it's interesting to me. I think this is about what we have time for today. So I'm super excited. Thank you so much for coming on. It's really, really interesting work. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share? Anything else that's coming up that we should know about? So there is the project, which is around research software quality, which is bringing different research infrastructures together, people writing software in life sciences in astronomy in social science and and other areas is called Everse, and it involves the sort of SSI partners of the Netherlands eScience Center. And it's really about producing a toolkit to show, to help measure and produce quality research. And it's very much in the, the infrastructure side. So that's going to be an exciting new set of communities to work with for the Netherlands eScience Center and for the SSI and allow us to really look at some quite large domains and their software use which is going to be really exciting. And the other thing I wanted to highlight was the Hidden Ref, which I've got a link into there, which is one of the ways in the UK we have Ref with Research Evaluation Framework, which is a way of getting your research papers and things like that evaluated to help rate your institutions. So Hidden Ref is about showing the other aspects of research outputs, which should go towards that. So they are promoting the idea of having 5% of the things which are reported back to the main Ref, to the main evaluation framework as non-papers. So software is one of those. So it's trying to gain recognition for software-based outputs and, and other outputs as well. That is really cool. I like that, hiddenref.org, hidden-ref.org. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for coming on. Don't leave yet. Now is the time of the show for Spotlight, where we point out projects, people, or things, which have really helped us out in the past, which we just think need some light put on them. Traditionally, the host goes first. So I guess that's me. I want to highlight Ross Mounts. I'm not sure if I've done that before. Ross is one of the people working on open knowledge and open access. He's currently an open access programs director at Arcadia, or the director rather. I've been following Ross since he was a PhD student way back in the day at Bath. And just really appreciate their social feed. Because for years, it's been an excellent place to go to see about like what's going on in open research, open knowledge, open science. So Ross, wherever you are, I hope you are doing exceedingly well today. Carlos, what is your spotlight today? Okay. I hear that the format is about thanking something that's been useful to you in the past, but I'm going to diverge from that and thank something that I can see being useful for me in the future, which is Hedy, which is a programming language for teaching children how to get into programming. And I, I believe that the initial levels, it goes like you, you can level up and the initial levels are very simple types of programming. But I think when, once you get higher up, it's, it's fully compatible with Python. So I think that's something that I, I haven't used yet, but I can see myself will be using as my little one grows up. So I love that. That's really great. I'm sorry that you're training a future RSE, but I hope it goes well. Shawabe, what about you? It was interesting you mentioned Ross. Ross is 
one of the SSI fellows who was inaugurated in 2016. So good to know that he's having an impact. So for me, it's a little bit orthogonal because sometimes it's where do you dip into general. My role is a mixture of someone who needs to know about technical matters, but not necessarily have to program, do bits and bats, but not necessarily a programmer. And then also around community development and management. So there's a, a few things really. One is there's a, a podcast called the People and Projects Podcast, which I think is really good, where they interview different leaders and project managers, and often they've written a book and, and they're promoting those. You get synopsis for the book as well as covering some of the key topics. I also enjoy the, is it useful to, you can become really abstract sometimes. And so it's useful to ground myself sometimes. And so the Talk Python podcast, Talk Python to podcast, I, I really like that. I think it covers things in depth and in a way with lots of links to go and have a look, even though I can read, I won't be writing lots of Python, but that's really useful. The other one for community development is the CSCCE, the Center for Scientific Collaboration and Community Engagement. So this is all about community managers inside research. And so it's where they hang out and where they share tools and tips on how to run hybrid workshops or which, how to, you know, what did people think of GatherTown and those sorts of things and around diversity and equity. So I think those different sources of information, I'll, I'll just paste the link to the people and projects. Right. Yeah. And those links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It was really good listeners. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, you can let us know. You can email podcast at sustainoss.org or richard at sustainoss.org and we'll get all of your comments, complaints, shouts, abuses, whatever you want. I'm there. Love getting feedback of any sort. Also, if you like this podcast, please like it on your Apple, Spotify, wherever podcasts are made. That would be really, really great. Tell your friends about it. The thing that isn't told about doesn't exist. So please share it widely. At the same time, if you're interested in funding this sort of work, you can go on to opencollective.com slash sustainoss. If you're interested in keeping this sort of podcast going, you can join our discourse on discourse.sustainoss.org. If you have any questions or you want to just talk about various things. And of course, you can find more episodes at podcast.sustainoss.org, which is the podcast you've just been listening to. So that's also really great. Carlos, Shoaib, thank you so much again. Good luck with the future WASP community. Good luck with Finding where you're going to go. That is a hard problem that I am very acutely aware of. If you have any solutions and you feel like we should join forces, I'm very happy to have the ultimate workshop on all the software sustainability for all times ever sustainable. But if not, thank you again and uh, take care. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. Thank you.